You're listening to On The Verge, a podcast about solving the security risks of the 21st century, produced by the Council on Strategic Risks. Tune in for expert interviews about some of today's most pressing existential problems, including climate change, global pandemics, bioweapons, and nuclear proliferation. We'll discuss some of the major challenges and outline potential solutions for preventing worst-case scenarios. At the Council on Strategic Risks, we believe that we are on the verge of a better tomorrow. Hi, everyone. My name is Andrea Rosanico. I'm the Deputy Director of the Converging Risks Lab at the Council on Strategic Risks. On today's episode of On the Verge, you'll hear a discussion on how ocean health, IUU fishing issues, and climate change are intersecting and their related security implications. This is part of CSR's work investigating and addressing the security implications of global ecological disruption. Today, I'll be speaking with Johan Bergenes. Johan is the Senior Vice President of Oceans at WWF US. He leads global programming at the intersection of ocean health, climate resilience, private markets, blue finance, and environmental security. Prior to joining WWF, Johan worked for Paul Allen's Vulcan, was the co-founder and CEO of a technology startup, and held positions with the Stimson Center, Monterey Institute, Oxfam America, and Lincoln Ping University. Johan, welcome to On The Verge. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Great. Let's go ahead and dive in. For our listeners who are not familiar with these concepts, can you expand upon what global fish wars mean and and how it centers on climate change, ocean health, and IUU or illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing issues? Of course. I I think for your listeners to really put this in the appropriate context is that we have and continue to fight wars or engage in military disputes over oil and gas and diamonds and sugar and even uh, spices. And fish as a commodity is no different. Um, In fact, one might argue it is even more important than the, the commodities that I just mentioned because half of the world's population depend on this protein for basic food needs. It is an essential commodity for livelihood for hundreds of millions of people, and it's the most traded food commodity in the world. So those types of um, characteristics drives competition over this resource, and the data doesn't lie. Um, In the last uh, 75 years or so between World War II and the end of the Cold War, one quarter of all military disputes, and this is really important, one quarter of military disputes between countries was over fish or fisheries. And I don't think that people appreciate just how contentious this issue is. And only in the last 40 years, we've seen an uptick in conflict over fish by 20 fold. So this is a commodity that countries and communities have and will uh, compete and fight over. And so that's sort of the context of, for example, why the U.S. Coast Guard is now saying that overfishing or IUU fishing 
uh, is the most important global maritime security threat. So these are very serious institutions who are talking about this issue in the context of, um, of war and peace. And the, and the last thing I think it's important to recognize here is that population growths are going up, fish stocks are coming down. So the finite nature of this commodity or this natural resource uh, is, is going to be even more important. And so <clears throat> that's, that's what we are talking about, future fish-rich places and future fish poor places and we're in the conflict and the crime and societal instability that we will find in these areas. And so that's how we, how we tend to think about the, the, um, the, the issues. Sure. And clearly this is an incredibly global issue. And so through your work and running through those stats that, that you shared with us, what have you identified as, as the key analytical gaps or challenges in, a, in understanding how these dynamics interact at any given time? Yeah, well, I think the first um, dynamic there is that the issue that is going to be a force multiplier for future fisheries conflict is climate change. So climate-driven fish migration because of hotter oceans, before, because of more acidic oceans, because of different currents in the oceans, is going to move fish stocks from one place to the other. And that's going to cause all sorts of challenges for communities and countries in terms of their dependency, right? The good news here is that we have decent climate data. We have decent fisheries migration data. Where we need to do more work is to understand that when fish move because of climate, what will humans do? What will communities do? What will countries do? And even what will be the great geopolitical consequences of this commodity moving from one place to the other? Uh, and that's where we really believe that using data, science, and predictive analytics to help governments and NGOs and the private sector prepare better for where we're gonna see these stressors is an important gap that, that we wanna fill. Um, the second gap, is about how we then would approach this issue. We have, we have great capacity in the US government and in other governments, but finding those interagency partnerships um, that we have seen you know, an early indication that they're happening between countries and within countries, I think is really important. And, and one piece of work that I'm really am proud of uh, here at the World Wildlife Fund uh, is our early uh, partnerships with the UN Maritime Security Agency, who is in need of science and data around fisheries, around uh, seasonal management area, and really is bridging the divide between natural security and conservation. And pulling the thread that you mentioned of kind of understanding Fish, how fish will move and because of climate and really getting to the point of how are people going to react to that? How are countries going to react to that? What are the geopolitical implications of that? Are there certain regions or scenarios centered on these intersections that you're most concerned about in the near term? Absolutely. I'm worried about two things, uh, primarily. The first um, bucket of issues that I see are artisanal or nearshore communities uh, in countries that are going to be uh, fish poor, 
in the future as a result of some of the things that you and I have been talking about. And the reason I'm concerned about that is because they are so close already to being in a position of dire need. So, you know, certain uh, parts of their livelihoods and food security moving over the next couple of years will be detrimental to these communities that are already vulnerable in terms of, you know, food, in terms of work. And I'm concerned about how that's going to impact border security, migration patterns, instabilities in those communities, public health issues, and of course, uh, crime and conflict. And I think currently we are very ill-prepared to come up with alternative uh, sources of food and work and to manage massive uh, population movements. So that's the first body of concerns that I have at the very, very local community level. The second part of what I consider to be a very, very serious issue is the geopolitical aspects of this. And that's going to likely be about the species that have long and, and very significant migration patterns. So tuna is one of them, right? Um, the industrial fleets that have been developed to pursue that particular commodity. And I think the stressors that we're going to see uh, in particular part of the world is in the Arctic, for example. You know, we're seeing uh, Pollock, um, we're seeing other parts of that environment and their natural resources being highly migratory in an environment that there are a lot of countries who could lay claim based on what the migration patterns are. And, and, and we can very, very quickly be in a geopolitical um, quagmire over this very important resource for reasons that we have mentioned. So the Arctic is one of them. I think everyone by now understands the stressors that is happening in the South China Sea, which is very much uh, around fisheries and fish resources. Um, the Eastern Tropical Pacific is another area where tuna, mahi-mahi is going to move, and, and countries are going to be uh, stable or instable as a result of that. And then the third region, I, I think that we don't speak enough about in the context of the issue of fisheries, sustainability and fisheries conflict is the West Indian Ocean. Um, I think that is a unspoken hotspot for the potential of, of future fish wars, if you will. But the, the, the thing that I always say about these issues, though, there's, there's tremendous hope here because we actually do have a very sophisticated system for fisheries management, climate smart fisheries management, nature-based solutions that will provide sustainability for fisheries uh, and for people. And so the solutions are here. The political attention, priorities, and resources are not. Uh, and I think that is a real opportunity for not only conservation organizations, but for food organizations, humanitarian organizations, and national security organizations. So clearly there are wide-ranging human and global security implications of these issues and this nexus. And, and you just touched upon some of the solutions in terms of management. From your perspective and your work, what is needed to ensure that policy interventions succeed in the long term to mitigate the worst case scenario? Yeah. So to me, um, you know, I, you know, every now and again, I take it, take a moment to reflect on the progress uh, that we have made. Um, and over the last five to seven or eight years, we, we have actually made tremendous program progress on policy in this space. Um, it wasn't so long ago that 
the sustainability of fish uh, was a little bit laughed at when you talked about it in the context of national security. Now the National Defense Authorization Act have multiple times recognized this issue as a, as a serious issue for the national security community. There is an independent law in the book that is called the Maritime Safe Act that recognized this issue as a national security issue uh, and lays forward a number of specific ideas about uh, more U.S. government resources and the use of additional intelligence, Coast Guard, and even defense um, resources for this issue. So I actually think we are at a spot right now where the regulatory and policy framework is by and large in place. Now we need to provide support and resources to the agencies that have been given the authority to execute on lowering the risk of fish wars to happen. So it's about resources, it's about appropriations, and it is about the um, political priority at the highest level of the US and other, and other governments. So that's super, super um, uh, reassuring. Um, I think a, a, a completely untapped uh, sector here is to think about the blue food revolution. You know, how do we build systems globally with the private sector, the public sector, with the NGO sector that brings blue food to scale so that we avoid some of these insecurity and scarcity dilemmas in the first place? And I think there's a ton of both policy, uh, technological innovation, and resources that can be leveraged there. And, and then of course, it's the private sector. Uh, and, and what's the good news about this issue is that this commodity, fish, um, is a commodity that is heavily traded and as such, there is an inherent uh, reason for industry to be a part of the solution uh, of making these commodities sustainable. And WWF is spending a lot of time thinking about sustainability in the seafood industry, and we're making great headway there. But then, of course, there's also a big risk. You know, we have seen other issues like blood diamonds you know, being sourced in a conflict in human rights, um, risky environment. And we've seen other commodities that has been sourced in, in terrible, terrible ways. And if we don't start to point out that that could also be the case for seafood, um, the risk to financial institutions, insurers, and the private market will be vast. And I think there's an untapped opportunity to raise that and to partner up and really de-risk in this space. Absolutely. Johan, thank you so much for, for explaining these issues and for joining me on, on, on The Verge podcast today. Andrea, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for uh, spending some time with me and raising these very important topics. To learn more about Johan's work, visit www.oceansfutures.org. Thank you for listening to On The Verge. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to leave us a review. For more information on the work of the Council on Strategic Risks, please visit us at councilonstrategicrisk.org, or you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn.